What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Whoa. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Whoa. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Come on. Welcome to Right and Wrong. This is a show where we try to wake up the woke by talking common sense about the issues of the day. I'm your host, Brian Ruka, and with me as always over there is my dear friend, producer Juice. Most people know him as the Truth Box because he just spits truth all day, every day, and twice on Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. What kind of truth do you have to uh, say to the right and wrong audience out there today, my friend? That's like, imagine if the Civil War happened today. If Civil War happened in 2000, win, like, win the battle? We wouldn't even make it to the field. Just a bunch of life coaches and bloggers. We'll help. <laughs> I don't want to get my shoes dirty. <laughs> you ever been shot? No, I've been triggered. Okay. <laughs> All right, men, tomorrow we march. What is that, ragweed out there? <laughs> Looks like a lot of pollen out on that field right now. Can we delay the battle till April? I am very sensitive. (laughs) I did not bring my inhaler. (sighs) Just in the bunker taking selfies. Hashtag Confederate Live. (laughs) Use the Gettysburg filter! (laughs) I haven't seen the other soldiers, but they've tweeted me some very hurtful things. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Great, great work once again. Once again, awesome job. I love that stuff. Keep up the good work. Well, on today's show, we'll be talking about the activist turned bake shop owner who was mugged and killed out in Oakland, California. We'll take a deeper look at how the NHL Players Association is hiring former Boston mayor, current Biden kiss-ass, Marty Walsh, as their next union leader. We'll also spend some time to review the reaction from the left and AOC specifically, to the two Jesus commercials that aired during the Super Bowl. And in our Come On Man segment of the day, we'll play a clip from Chelsea Handler where she tries to glorify being alone and familyless at nearly 50 years old. Before we jump into all of it, I do need to ask you guys to please, please, please subscribe to this show and please give us a five-star rating and a big thumbs up. Don't be afraid to drop a comment on Apple or even on our YouTube page too. We may even read it on the air one of these days. With that being said, I do believe it is time to bring in our good old friend, Mr. Ric Flair, because it is showtime, baby. Woo! Showtime! Woo! Woo! There's a lot of weird stuff going on out there these past couple of weeks. We have Chinese spy balloons carrying that old dude from the movie Up over the country, only to shoot him down over the Atlantic. That thing actually flew right over my neighborhood, by the way. Thanks, Daniel, for giving me the heads up about that one. We also have UFOs buzzing over Turd Boy's country in Canada and John Dutton's ranch out there in Montana. And we have a major train derailment in Ohio that has done more harm to the Go Green movement than any gas-powered vehicle could think of doing, and the environmentalists have finally gone silent. But for some reason, those stories don't really interest me very much. I'm not trying to say that they're not important because they are. I'm just saying that they don't interest me that much as far as talking about them here on the show. 
What's going on in Ohio is crazy, and Biden's response is pathetic, and I feel like I don't have much more to add to that story. The producer over there is clamoring for a UFO-themed segment, if not a full-on UFO-themed episode one of these days, but that's not really my thing either. The Truth Box, he's a huge alien guy. <laughs> he's been angling for years now to replace that fool with the puffed-up hairdo as host of Ancient Aliens. What I'm interested in, and what I'd like to focus on, is how we are living in an imperfect world, surrounded by a society that's obsessed with trying to make it perfect. A few weeks ago, I spoke about how we live in an age of surveillance, and that's true. We're always on camera, and because we're on camera and we can replay everything, it leads us into being a collection of Monday morning quarterbacks. Split-second decisions get slowed down and broken down frame by frame. Then we're judged by the rest of us who now have the luxury of hindsight. There are millions of examples of this, but since the biggest sporting event of the year just took place, let's go to the Super Bowl to help make my point. Even if you're not into sports at all, you no doubt are aware that the Kansas City Chiefs just defeated the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl 57. Actually, scratch that. Maybe you don't know that. Well, I, I guess I think it's fair to assume that you're at least aware of this huge game slash event called the Super Bowl, and you're also aware that it took place this past Sunday? Good, good. Well, now that we have that established, I'll let you know that it was a really fun and exciting game that came down to the wire. Casey ended up winning by three points with a field goal in the closing seconds. Unfortunately for the league, one of the major stories in the aftermath has focused on the officiating. I'll expand on the officials and I'll also lump in replay reviews because I do think those things tie in together. So the one that stood out to me was early in the game when Philly player Devontae Smith made a phenomenal catch down the right sidelines. This man was able to catch the ball with a defender all over him and was able to keep both feet in bounds. The play was ruled a catch on the field, but of course it had to go to a replay review. They looked over this catch for what felt like 20 minutes slowing it down frame by frame. Eventually, they decided to rule it an incomplete pass. They determined that the ball was slightly rotating while still in his hands as he went to the ground. It was decided that he didn't fully control the ball. Absolutely absurd. That was possibly the best, most athletic play of the game, and the nerds that make the rules went and ruined the thing. And it goes back to my original thought that it also ties into the mindset of the modern human being. We must make sure that we get everything right because that's the fair thing to do. We have the technology to fix mistakes, so why not make sure we get it right? The mindset of get everything right should not be the standard when it comes to replaying sports. Sports radio genius Mr. Mike Felger makes the point that I tend to agree with, that the standard should be to fix the blatantly obvious mistakes and let's move on with our lives. If you need 15 minutes of looking at it from multiple angles at super slow motion, then it's not obvious enough, and whatever was decided in real time by the naked eye is the call. That's it. This is not just a football problem. Try watching the last two minutes of a basketball game. They go and study replays anytime the ball gets knocked out of bounds and two players are anywhere near it before it goes out. Hockey sometimes goes back two to three minutes in a game to erase a goal if it's determined that a player's blade of his skate was a hair off sides when they first entered the zone. And baseball looks at replays for bang-bang plays around the bases. There's a reason they're called bang-bang plays, people. It's because they typically go either way. 
They're ridiculously close, and they are meant to be judged by the naked eye. Listen, I always dreamed of being on sports radio or doing a sports podcast instead of the type of podcast that I'm doing now. But I just don't care that much about sports the same way that I used to anymore. It's stuff like these replay reviews and the analytics takeover that has me turning my back on sports. And the only reason I'm bringing it up today is because I believe that too many people in the world share that same mindset in day-to-day life. How many people back down from conversations about politics, the environment, or even COVID lockdowns because they feel like they're not credentialed enough to talk about it? They're not expert enough, right? People are afraid to sound wrong, and because of that mindset of everything being perfect in the world, they'd rather just defer and ignore their own opinion on the matter at hand. We all know someone in our lives that tries to rely on a study or data to back up any of their left-wing talking points, and what normal, regular person has the ability to cite studies and data when discussing political cultural issues? No one! Even the person trying to use it to their advantage. They're most likely regurgitating some nonsense propaganda from the world of academia. How trustworthy are academic studies when they, when that same circle has produced studies about critical race theory and transgender ideology? What about scientific studies? We just spent three years of, of our lives trying to follow contradicting scientific studies and recommendations. <laughs> How comfortable do you feel about following the science? Later in the Super Bowl, there was a huge penalty call that completely changed the final minute and a he of the game. I'd say about 90% of the country in real time reacted the same way that I did. We all yelled at our TV for the rest to keep the flags in their pockets already. Now, with the benefit of hindsight and replay, you'll get a more even split on that reaction. But in real time, we all know it was a garbage ticky-tack call. The most glaring thing to me is finding out that during the broadcast, the officials expert was trying to tell the broadcasters that the call was legit and not to criticize it. He was communicating to them in their own airpieces as they were talking to us. One of the announcers, Greg Olson, he was having none of that. He called BS on the call right away and he stuck with that. So good for him. But the broadcast wanted to form your opinion for you. Sound familiar? My overall point here is that sports have been ruined by nerds trying to run their leagues as if there is no human element involved in them. Their ideas sound great on paper or in a boardroom, but in reality, they never work as intended. The same can be said for public policy. We live in a world where everyone expects all aspects of daily life to work to perfection for every single person in it, and that's just foolish. People can and should be told no. The world is unfair and cruel, so deal with it. And mistakes happen. Learn to overcome them because we can't go back and fix them all. Horrible! Boo! Five-yard backwards pass, live ball, touchdown off the board for the green wave. Nuts and bolts, we got screwed. All right, my friends, it's that time of the show where we get to focus on our rights and wrongs of the week. So let's get right to things, shall we? I guess uh, we'll stick with this whole Super Bowl stuff right away and uh, talk about this reaction to a commercial by a group of pro-Jesus, you know, happy people, I guess, out there in the world that ran a couple of ads. Whether you realize it or not, this massive event that we talk about, the Super Bowl, again, 
is um, super famous for the commercials that air during it. And they are the most expensive commercials of the year because, you know, the amount of eyeballs that are on this game watching it. So huge, huge money is spent on the advertisement dollars and the commercials. And there's people that aren't even into sports at all that tune in just to watch the commercials. Two of them um, came from this group called He Gets Us. And they are a group of, you know, as I just mentioned, pro-Jesus-loving, non-denomination, people that just want to spread Jesus' word, basically. People that rediscovered Jesus and they're trying to spread his word, you know, his authentic word through the Gospels. And they spent some time and money and effort to play a couple of commercials. And the commercials had like kind of the basic Jesus theme that you see out there of, you know, Love is love, love everybody, peace, be peaceful, love your neighbor, like all that stuff, right? The commercials, the first one, I think I kind of enjoyed. The second one, eh, not as much. But either way, you know, that's what they did. And of course, the left had to react to it, led by their um, habitually bitter congresswoman, AOC. So, you know, she had the big old glasses busted out for this one when she was tweeting And what did she have to say? I think we have it somewhere, right, Juice? Oh, yes, there it is. So she tweeted, Something tells me Jesus would not spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads to make fascism look benign. I think that's probably how she said it. I don't know. Maybe I was adding a little bit to that. Who knows? But, yeah, she... Pretty much, you know, just calling Jesus a fascist. There we have it. And I guess the political leaders of today are just as afraid of Jesus now as they were back when he was actually alive. So she's threatened by by Jesus and people that have found Jesus. Does not like that because he goes completely against her God of secularism and political activism and environmentalism. And all of her isms that she believes in. It's just crazy. And she's not the only one. It was out there. I know there's there's someone Ashley uh, always tells me about that drives her nuts that she sees on her news feed. This person who's like three times divorced and remarried on a, on a fourth relationship with multiple children. And just loves to bash God and any conservative stuff and of course this woman had to react to this commercial as well no the millions of dollars that you spent on that could have been used to feed the homeless or shelter shelter people and i feel like that's a similar reaction that a lot of non-religious people would have and again it's it's kind of a theme we always talk about here we talked a lot about it last week but people like that people like aoc people like this bitter divorcee multiple divorcee should uh should look themselves in the mirror a little bit and figure out what's wrong with them what's going on with within them that they have this anger and hate in their in their hearts so i I don't get it um i don't know why well i guess i do know why the the non-religious secular people are so threatened by religious life because it would lead people into doing the right thing, into being accountable and lead them away from the um the the life of sin that these people have indulged in. And the reason that they feel threatened by the religious message is because they know deep down that their life, 
that they're living is wrong, that it's not the way you should be living. And that's their guilt that's eating at them, whether they admit it or not. And, you know, misery loves company. So they're miserable with the lives that they've lived and, and the decisions they've made that, that have left them into in the positions that they're in, that they want to bring everybody else down with them. And that's pretty much where it stems from. So I guess uh, those people, y- you kind of have to feel sorry for them. But a part of me also is like, hey, you reap what you sow as well, people. And not everybody's getting into heaven at the end of the day. It is what it is. You have a chance to do it, but you have to make the right decisions and you have to live a a religious life in order to to wash yourself from the sins that you commit. We're all sinners. Every one of us, none of us are perfect. But those of us who can realize that we're not perfect and try to improve on it and try to reach out to others to help them and try to be those lights on the top of the hill, we're the ones who are making the effort. Again, there's not much different between all of us. We're all humans. We're all, it's a fallen world. But those of us that are trying to better themselves, trying to have that relationship with God and with Jesus and trying to introduce Jesus to others. Those are the, those are the types of people that are, are going to be welcomed into heaven with open arms and the AOCs of the world, the woman that <laughs> I mentioned there, they're the ones that are going to be left with their own sin when they travel down South at the end of the day, at the end of the world, <laughs> I shall say next. Ooh, I love it, AOC. Hot, hot, hot like a tamale. All right. This next one um, is the guy who used to sign my paychecks, Mr. Mayor Marty Walsh. And surprise, surprise, his play both sides of the table, both sides of the fence routine and act is added again. He just got hired by the NHL to be their representative, um, to be their leader of their players association. And it just... These stories make me cringe, and it just shows you more and more that this is my overall problem with um, unions in general. Uh, I, I get that public sector unions are definitely the real problem, and it's funny because that's the type of union I was in. That's the type of union I was voted to be the president of. But I quickly learned when I did get that role that it doesn't matter. None of it matters because it's all just a political game, and it's all you know, who you know, what you're doing, and who who's getting greased. Nobody wants to actually fix anything or change anything. So the leaders of these public sector unions, they're just as, as you know, at fault as the people that they're across the aisle from. They're all just trying to hold their spots, their status, where they are. And I just didn't want to play that game. And I was hoping for the Obama change (laughs) you know and just realize obviously that you really can't change this stuff it's embedded in the system and it's it's a rot and there's no way to to get get it out unless you completely dismantle this nonsense i mean public sector unions that they're bargaining against themselves their own tax dollars the taxpayers out there are being bargained against by the police, the fire, the the train workers, the railroad workers, all of it. And I get that this is the NHL and it's not a public sector gig, but I highlight it because this guy, Marty Walsh, was the, the head of the trades union, you know, construction workers in Boston. 
He parlayed that gig as being, you know, a, a union voice into being a state representative. And then he, he flew under the radar for years, handing out pencils to, to elementary school kids. And then the spot opened up to, you know, run for mayor of Boston. And he, you know, cashed in and, and won that gig. And I know my union never got a contract under the guy. I know a lot of other unions, police, fire, those guys, they, they had a tough time negotiating with them. And to me, I just think it's crazy. This guy who made himself popular, made his name being the pro-worker advocate as a union leader, then finds himself on the opposite side of the table as the person that they need to negotiate with. And how corrupt is that? The guy that you're, you're friends with, you worked with, you did that. Now he's the one who's signing off on your contract? Or the one who can accept campaign donations from said unions is then going to go ahead and reward them with a fat, cushy contract? That is corrupt as it gets, people. And then he cashes out when he realizes as a, as a white male, I was going to say straight white male, but that's debatable, I think. Uh, <laughs> but as a white male, he cashed out and took a job with Biden as his labor secretary. Flew under the radar the past couple of years, haven't really heard anything about him, and now he pops up again as getting this gig with the NHL. So he's leaving government, and he's going to go take a job as the leader of the union for the National Hockey Association, the players. Bargaining for them as they battle the owners for a new contract, a collective bargaining agreement, all that stuff. And again, it's this guy jumping back to the other side of the table again. So, like... I don't get how that's just okay and acceptable with people. And it's kind of the same thing as like these politicians that work in Washington, you're congressman, and then you leave, you step down and you get a job as a lobbyist immediately right away. Or you're some hack state rep um, in, in Dorchester. <laughs> I may or may not be thinking of Dan Cullinane, um, but then immediately gets a job as a lobbyist that can lobby um you know, for special interests at the state house. So when these people realize that they're about to get defeated or lose their spot, they save face by stepping down, but then immediately get rewarded with these cushy jobs where they get to go and say that they can use their political connections to help advocate for some big law firm or something or some, you know, pharmaceutical company or for, you know, whatever, a, a construction company that's trying to get government contracts like that's ridiculous and that's exactly what mayor walsh is doing he he parlayed his status as a as a political government worker there and he plays each side of the table when he negotiates like he's gonna on one hand be the management but then you know if the if the offer's right he's gonna flip and jump on the other team and and now advocate for the worker and the last person that this guy cares about is you, the worker, the actual regular normal person. He cares about holding his status and holding his position. He cares about having himself a job that he doesn't have to actually go do. He just gets to talk to people, shake hands, and try to leverage people with political bribery, basically, and use his political connections to get people jobs here or to, to get somebody else a contract there and... That's what he gets to do. 
He's not out there doing any of the real work. He gets to sit there and hobnob with the special people, and that's all he cares about, holding that spot there and pretending that he actually cares about the worker out there. Next. Please, you're wasting everyone's time. All right, and this story here is, it it's sad, um, but I can't help but, like, criticize it either. Like, it's sad because this woman died out in California. It was Oakland, California. But when you hear a little bit more about her and what happened, you just shake your head, and it, it's like it's wokeism coming to roost. So this woman, her name is Jennifer Angel. She <laughs> owns her own bakery, and she was an activist, um, publicist for, you know, radical progressive causes. And she just, you know, started her own bakery and she had all this woke slogans on the walls in there, like all this type of stuff, super libby, go greeny type of person. And, you know, there are a couple of robbers that smashed her car windows and they fled with her possessions uh, last week. And this woman chased them down, caught up to their vehicle, and then got trapped in the door and dragged more than 50 feet, and her head was smashed and run over, crushed by by a sidewalk. And she died. Yeah. So this no-criminal-defund-the-police advocate, which is what she is, she does not believe in police forces, went and tried to take justice into her own hands by running these people down, these scumbags down who robbed her, and she was dragged to her death for that. And what really stood out to me was the reaction from her family and friends. They started a GoFundMe page for, for her. And on the page, it said, A longtime social movement activist and anarchist, Jen, did not believe in state violence or punishment or incarceration as an effective or just solution to social violence and inequity. We know Jen would not want to continue the cycle of harm by bringing state-sanctioned violence to those involved in her death or to other members of Oakland's rich community. What? So they don't want these scumbags locked up and put in jail for killing her, for robbing her and killing her. And you know what? Screw you, people. Screw you, her family members and friends who think that, because it's not your decision. Those people are menaces to the community that they live in. We live in a self-government, so it's up to the rest of the people there that want themselves to be protected and safe. They do not want to be carjacked and robbed and have to try to chase these people down themselves when they do this to the next person. Throw these people in jail and throw away the key. They're absolute trash who do not deserve the benefit of the doubt. Jen does not believe in state-sanctioned incarceration. Well, you know what, Jen? You died for your beliefs. There you go. You happy with that? Now, I don't know anything about the people who did it, but I kind of think it's safe to assume that people who are doing that most likely have done something else in their lives as well at some point. And did they get soft punishment back then? Did they get soft punishment when they did this to somebody else? I bet they did because they live in a terrible state that's soft on crime. It's pretty simple, people. Put criminals in jail, make it more difficult for them to get out. And for those who commit murders, don't ever let them out. Maybe not even let them 
live. They made their choice. These people are ridiculous. This this woman just got dragged to her death by these robbers. And her friends and family are trying to say, Jen wouldn't have wanted them to be put away in jail. What, there's no punishment for these people? Jen doesn't think they should have been punished at all? Why would they ever change their ways? Why should the rest of us have to live a life, live in a world like that? Why should we have to live around crime like that? Why should we have to walk past homeless people in the street shooting up? We shouldn't. Just because these big-hearted morons like Jen out there think that it's somehow kind and nice to let people destroy their own lives by, you know, doing drugs and stealing and robbing from people, just because she thinks that that's a good way to show compassion to people, all it shows us is that Jen's an idiot and she died for it. And she probably shouldn't have, but, you know, she she made her choices. She advocated for this type of stuff and she got what she wished for. And unfortunately, she lost her life for that, but it still hasn't woken up the rest of her family and friends. So I guess we got a long way to go here on the uh, Right and Wrong show because we really have to wake up the woke here. Next. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. And go crazy. And that'll do it for your rights and wrongs of the week. Thank you guys so much for sticking in there with us. And coming up next is our Come On Man segment of the day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time in the show when we get to make fun of somebody for saying something absolutely ridiculous, doing something absolutely ridiculous, or just simply being ridiculous. Most of the time, we get to, you know, poke fun at them, tease them and razz them for a few minutes. But basically, there's nothing we can say over here other than, come on, man. That's the idea behind this whole segment. So what happened this time? Who are we going to talk about? What are we going to focus on? Let's go to the terrible, not funny daily show and listen to fill-in host Chelsea Handler. Now, she's filling in for the equally untalented, not funny Trevor Noah, who left the show, and she gets to jump in and uh, fill his space. So what did she have to say? She did this whole little segment that's been making the rounds. You probably have seen something about it. Everybody's reacting to it, which I guess is probably what she wanted. Uh, But she did this whole little routine about how great it is to be almost 50 years old and alone and unmarried and childless. So I guess... She's advocating as that being a fun, happy, not so lonely life, but just kind of comes across as sad and pathetic and cringy. So I guess let's let's go right to the clip and hear what she had to say about it herself. Juice. One thing that I have made abundantly clear is that I do not want children. I say it on stage. I say it in interviews. It's the first thing I say to myself in the mirror when I wake up each morning, right before I tell myself, God, you're a dynamic woman. (laughs) Kids don't respect me. And quite frankly, the feeling is mutual. is there are millions of women just like me, but for some reason, every single one of us at some point in our lives is shamed by society for not wanting a baby. And that's what I want to talk about in tonight's installment of Long Story Short. 
America and honestly everywhere, motherhood is treated as a woman's central purpose in life, as if our destiny is to let a tiny stranger rip a hole through our Pikachu from the inside out. And then as soon as we turn 18, we're just supposed to sit back and wait for Nick Cannon to impregnate us. These Fox News trolls are right about one thing. I am miserable. In fact, I was just scrolling through my Instagram feed the other day, realizing how miserable I am. I'm miserable on the beach. And then here I am miserable on the top of a mountain. And then here I am miserable scuba diving. And then I'm miserable again, smoking a joint in a hot tub. is truly a new circle of hell for me. (laughs) The simple truth is that I'm not having a kid because I'm happier without them, and that's really not of anyone's concern but my own. And no, I don't hate kids. I just don't want them. That's what's so great about nieces and nephews. I love being an aunt. I'm crushing that role. Guess who gave each one of them their first edible? This girl. But hey, what do I know? Clap, you trained sheep. Clap, you sales. She said something stupid, not funny. Applause. Now she thinks she's like, like again, the cool, I want to be the cool aunt. Okay, yeah, you could be the cool aunt giving edibles to your kids, to to your whatever nieces and nephews. Ha ha ha, real funny. But at the end of the day, it's just more sad and pathetic that you know you as a almost fifty year old woman need to get that reaction from your nieces and nephews. You need them to validate your coolness as the cool aunt. Because you're just sad and pathetic. Now, what about that other thing she said about the, uh, I don't respect kids either. Kids don't respect me and I don't respect them. Like, again, like, what are you, five? No, you're almost 50 years old. You moron. But everyone just laughs, trained to laugh at her because you're there with the applause sign. Well, she kind of set all that up just to play this little day in the life video. You got that one, Juice? This is a day in the life of a childless woman. I wake up at 6 a.m. I remember that I have no kids to take to school, so I take an edible, masturbate, and go back to sleep. Hold on. I wake up at 12.30 p.m. and get ready for a busy day of doing whatever the f*** I feel like. I put on my most impractical and stylish shoes since I won't be chasing a child around the grocery store. I go to my fave spot in Paris to grab a croissant. I do a meditation sesh on the plane since I have no screaming kids, allowing me all the time in the world to become enlightened. The weightlessness of my existence has granted me superhuman powers. I teleport myself back home. Then I get ready for a night out with whatever hot guy I met on Raya that morning. I call up a babysitter and tell her that I don't need her since I still don't have kids. Now it's time for a workout, so I hit Mount Everest for a quick climb. I invent a time machine, go back in time, and kill Hitler. Crazy bastard! It's amazing what you can do when you have this much free time. And that's a day in the life of a childless woman. Yeah. Pathetic, right? 
I mean, did you see all that all that nonsense after the old, you know, wake up, masturbate, go back to sleep, put on high heels to go to the grocery store, maybe meditate? After that, when she started making up all the other nonsense, weird stuff there, I mean, seems like she doesn't really have much going on in her life, right? She sleeps in late, goes to the grocery store, meditates, and then... You know, goes back in time to kill Hitler? No. Climbs Mount Everest? No. You know, she's rich, so maybe she can go on some vacations and stuff. But again, it's all just laying around. You know, maybe do a few bits, but we can see by her talent right there. Not very funny. Um, So what is it that fulfills her in life? What does she have going on for her? Not much. She probably left out the fact that I bet you she's got two or three cats that make her feel great about herself. You know, read. Maybe she maybe she soaks in the tub, reads, pets her cat, takes her dog for a walk. You know, I'm sure she's got animals in her home because they validate her feeling of, you know, loneliness by making her feel wanted and needed without any real responsibility or obligation to them. She thinks, you know, this is a great life and a childless woman. I mean, she's had proudly boasts about having three abortions. So she's actually killed three of her children in order to have this wonderful life of hers of sleeping in, masturbating, going on to dating apps where she texted in that video, want to F tonight to the guy saved in her phone as hut guy. Sounds like really role model-y type of stuff from a, again, almost 50-year-old woman. Sounds like stuff that people would maybe be doing in their 20s. But poor Chelsea here has never decided to grow up. She's still living in Never Neverland over there thinking that she owns her life and she's in charge of it. She's like millions of other women out there who don't want to be mothers. Well, you're a woman, you can conceive. If you don't want to be a mother, don't have sex then. I mean, that's kind of your role. The Rock said it best when he said, Know your role and shut your mouth. (laughs) And I say that jokingly. So easy, feminists out there, please. I'm joking. But essentially, we all have roles. There are specific roles that we have in life. And... We're better off when we fulfill those roles. That's what leads to a fulfilling life. The more you try to fight those roles and run away from them, the worse your life is going to be. And I couldn't think of a better example of showing you why knowing your role and fulfilling your role is important than that terrible video that Chelsea played. She thinks that's empowering and inspiring and funny. You know, I guess if you're not taking it serious, if if she's doing it as a troll job, then yeah, whatever. Like some people might laugh at it, but I don't think she's trolling with that. I think she believes that type of stuff. I think she might have exaggerated a couple of things, sure. But at the end of the day, she's loud and proud about being a childless woman at, again, almost 50 years old. She thinks that that's something that she should hold her head high about. 
and inspire others to be like that. When in reality, she should be discouraging that. Hopefully, her actions discourage that from other people. Because when I look at her, when I see that type of stuff, I do not see a happy, fulfilled life. I see someone who's going to be looking like Madonna did during those Grammys in about 20 more years when she gets to be Madonna's age. I mean, we've all seen this story before. She's moderately attractive handler. And so was Madonna back in when she was more youthful. And look at where that ends. That to somebody like Chelsea Handler, that Madonna image should be a wake up call to why you do need a family, why you do need children in your life, why you do need other people to surround yourselves in a a loving, happy family, because that's going to fulfill you. Otherwise, Chelsea Handler is going to be trying to do bits like this when she's 70 years old not looking quite as good as she did when she was younger, therefore not being, you know, quite as funny when she tries to say she's a 70-year-old going on to to Tinder trying to want to F with somebody or talking about her edibles and, and feeding them to little kids and this, that, and the other thing. That stuff's not going to play anymore once you, you know, progress in age, my friend, and when you get to that point, you're going to wish you had some kids that would want to hang out with you and, you know, provide grandchildren's grandchildren to you to fulfill your life. But at the end of the day, you decided to kill your three children in order to have your fun in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And it's going to come back to bite you in the ass. And we'll be here to say, I told you so. And for that, Chelsea Handler, You, my friend, have earned yourself one big, fat, classic. Come on, man. And that's our show for today. Thank you guys so much for hanging in there with us. We enjoyed having you. Hopefully you enjoyed being here. And we will see you next week. So I guess I have nothing else to say to you guys except thanks for having me. The Right and Wrong Show is produced by Juice. Executive producer, Juice. Audio mixer is Juice. Hair by Skull Shavers. Wardrobe and Makeup by Ashley Ruka. Right and Wrong Song created by Juice. The Right and Wrong Show is copyright 2022 from Brian Ruka. Ooh.